Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who is now neck deep in data viz. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hey, Wendy. You've become a bit of a, a da- data visualization expert. Many years after being lumped in with the data viz bunch, despite doing no work in that area... I finally sort of started programming and I'm getting on really well with it. It turns out it was something that I should have been doing a long time ago. You had had a natural flair for yeah, it I all of, along? I kind, of, I kind of do, to be honest. I wrote, I wrote three lines the other day that I'm so proud of winning. <laughs> what do they do? They they identify Spurs players. They identify as as specific players being coys or not coys and then conditions their appearance in the visual. Nice, nice. Okay, that so that explains the um, the stuff on our midfielders yeah. standing out in some of the visits you've been looking at. But it turns out Kyoibia is pretty good. <laughs> no, no, there's a question about this further down the line. Okay, I'll save it, I'll save it. Yeah, I, I do realise though this is just another way for Nathan to throw shade at me all the time. <laughs> I'm learning to code just to disbardy on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. Like, I have a, a good friend of mine who listens to the pod, uh, Sasha, and he... He, when I play football against him, he always lifts his game. And when I'm not there, his game is terrible. But when I play, he turns into like Ben Davies. And that's kind of what's happened here. <laughs> oh, so Nathan's terrible unless it's when he's coming for you. That's, that's kind of the thing though, right? If people ask me on Twitter, like, um, oh, what's, what, what do you think of this? What's this? Uh, can I get your opinion on this? A lot of the time, if I'm still like working towards building something I'm going to put out there, I'll ignore it. But if someone comes at me with something wrong, <laughs> that's what I'm like, well, here's, here's what I've got so far. Nathan is most tenacious. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, so we mentioned Literacy Pirates last week, a charity that runs after-school clubs. Um, one of the centres is based in, in Tottenham, up the road from White Hart Lane. I'm delighted to say that a couple of our listeners got in touch with Literacy Pirates and have volunteered or offered to volunteer. And and that's wonderful. They're, they're going to be helping out at the after-school sessions, hopefully. 
would love to hear from those people. Uh, there were some donations I saw being made as well. So really, really wonderful. Thank you to the Extra Inch community for supporting this excellent charity. That's really fantastic. Uh, also, thank you to That Wasley for the very kind iTunes review and shout out to Adam for sending us his, his skip story, mm. which was very, very sweet. And I also want to give a little mention once again to THFC Songs and Spurs Song Sheet, both doing their bit to improve the atmosphere. Give them both a follow on Twitter. They're coming up with some some catchy Spurs songs. The the Kulusevsky. I'm going to say it that way, Nathan, just to please you. <laughs> Call him Decky, uh, and then and then the Decky. Yeah. The Decky song is is a banger. I think unless he changes his um, shirt number, then they were done for. That is a good point. It needs to, yeah, his shirt number needs to conform with the rhythm of the song, that's for sure. On Patreon this week, uh, we had a very self-indulgent live Q&A hosted by one of our ex-subs. Uh, he's had enough publicity this week, so I'm not even going to mention mm-hmm. his name. Uh, we did it for a laugh. It was a laugh. I think people who aren't in the Discord will find it absolutely bizarre, but it was it was a lot of fun. It's an hour-long podcast of in-jokes, essentially. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There's like a core group of 10 people who really appreciated it. Everyone else is nonplussed. <laughs> and Nathan, you made a video about Danny. Sunk sunk like uh, like the Titanic. <laughs> probably my oh. probably my least well received video ever. Uh so like um I mentioned before too, too how, far after the after yeah. the after the uh the move happening I guess. I I planned it all out and I'd got the video ready like uh, once when we when we just sold him there was a big sort of loving all of his highlights going around people remembering the good times and I was going to jump in on that and then my parents got the virus and I was sort of out of commission for two weeks and they came back and everyone's going this is just really sad <laughs> so 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 don't sign up <laughs> to watch that <laughs> you'll, you'll break your heart basically plus he's just, it's been proven now he's just not very good doesn't there even get go. in the Everton team there you go I was right all along <laughs> I'm waiting Waiting for that for that fifty quid charity donation from Wendy to go on my Just Giving page. Can't wait for it. <laughs> uh, we do have a Patreon discount on again until the end of February, but since most people will be listening to this probably on the first of March, I will leave the discount on for one day longer. So it's sixteen percent off annual subscriptions. If you're interested in joining, Patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch is where you need to go. So uh, Bardi said pre-recording that he was very very relieved that we beat Leeds because I mean we've said this before when when there are two matches in a week and we've lost one of them we're all just praying for the second one to be a win so that the pod can be a little bit more upbeat (laughs) and that is definitely the case in this this instance and we will start with Leeds because it's sort of freshest in the memory we will and happier happier. we we will touch on the Burnley game for sure but uh but let's start with Leeds and let's start where we always do with the team lineups. So we saw some rotation, Bardi. We saw we saw Matt Doherty come in for Emerson Royale. Did you make of that when the team was announced? I mean, Emerson is in such a funk of form that it wasn't you know it wasn't too bad. I mean, maybe a few months ago I would have been quite upset about it, but right now it's just it's, it is what it is. Um, and I was yeah, that was okay. Good to see Sessignon start again. But the best thing for me was Kulusevski starting once again in place of Lucas. I think we can all agree that this is this is a big plus and this is good for us. Mm, massive upgrade, to be honest. Uh, Lucas obviously huge. Lucas was huge was upgrade. injured for this one, so it wasn't a it wasn't a sort of um, selection headache as such. That was that decision was taken out of Conte's hands. But 
I think Lucas is going to find it very difficult to get back in now that Kosevsky's really been playing fantastically. Um, Nathan, I was very, very pleased to say, see Sessegnon have a strong first half in particular. Um, I think there's lots to say about this match. You know, Leeds, Leeds go man for man. We've seen that numerous times. They they press intensely. We've seen that numerous times. We've been troubled by it numerous times. In this match, with the way Conte's system is working, Leeds going man for man meant that Luke Ayling was following Son inside a lot of the time. And that left acres of space for Sessignon to exploit. And on the other side, um, Firpo was, was often following Kulusevsky, which le- left plenty of space for Matt Doherty. Do you think that had a, an impact on the on the end result, Nathan? Definitely. But I also think more generally there was a focus towards um, excluding the wing backs from build up um, to a greater degree than yeah. we've seen recently. Like recently, we've had a, like Emerson Royale, especially, he's been having a hard time being being pressed in in build up. Um, you know, re- receiving half the time like walkie passes from Davinson Sanchez, obviously. Um, but but Leeds man marking means that like if you push your wing backs way up away from the back line, then your centre backs aren't going to get sort of closed down from two angles at once because they're going to be st- you know the the relevant players are going to be staying back and you can manipulate lead shape to your own design based on that. And Sessegnon and Doherty are two players whose greatest strength is becoming a sort of additional. Mm. attacker in the box you know um in sort of slightly different ways but it definitely made sense for them i mean essentially like this is what we've been saying all along like doherty isn't good contributor to midfield play um his crossing is poor but what he's really good at doing is sort of becoming a, a, a third target in the box becoming a an additional uh, uh threat there mm. um and Sessegnon isn't too far removed. I thought he had a sort of more rounded performance. He has, you know, he has some good passing as well on top of that um, in in many different ways. Um, but yeah, uh, more generally about Sessegnon, it's like, what was his first game in this run? Who was his first game against? Can you it remember? was it was the Wolves game where he got hauled off, wasn't yeah. it? So, oh yeah, it's okay. So yeah, he had a, a an awful start, and then what was his second game? Did he Man City away? Okay, so that probably goes down as a, as a better one for him. Mm, and then definitely. he played against Burnley, which was quite a poor match for him. Obviously, we're going to come on to that, but it's like it's getting that run of games. You know, it's it's so far in his Spurs career. Pretty much, he's come in, he's played well or he's played badly. More often, you know less good and then he's back at the team again and it's clear everyone has said said this now it's clear that his issue is is not his ability but his but his mentality his confidence and that confidence okay it can grow off the back of coming in playing well for one good game but what it really needs and what it's really needed all this time and partly that has required you know regular and being out for a little bit it's just a run of games and i think this is the beginning of the fruition of, of that, which is not to say that like if he plays next game, like he'll be brilliant, right? But um, but it's something that he needs to grow over time with, with first team football and some and some encouragement and some faith and some and some sort of you know um, positive tactical advantages here and there are helpful too. Mm. Yeah, I mean he's only he's only played ninety minutes once this season. That was against City. Um, he it's been very stop start for him, and like he didn't he didn't get his first minutes until Leeds until with the home version, the like the, the first game of this when we played Leeds. So it has been stop start for him. I 
I understand there's criticism about that. I still think people are judging Sessegnon incorrectly. I still think they're, they're expecting him to be this winger who's just going to kind of whiz past people and do ball skills and the rest of it. So I think he's being judged a little bit harshly, but I, I would like to see him play a few more minutes now. I, I think he's, he's young, he's English, you know, he ticks all my boxes anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's, great to, it's great to start him to start producing something, getting, a, getting an assist. Yeah, I think um, the assist was fantastic, but it was kind of part of a, a series of excellent bits of play in the first half from Sessegnon. He mm. handled Rafinha really well defensively, I thought, but also he was contributing with excellent running off the ball, as as you would expect from him. That's one of his key strengths. Um, and like Nathan said, some nice passes too. He, he also provided a couple of other crosses. Uh, only one was accurate, I think, but the intention was, was there. Uh, and, and like Nathan says, Matt Doherty is really strong at arriving in the box. So it was kind of a perfect game for, for him to get the start in. I was quite, um, I was quite happy pre-game with the Doherty-Kulusevsky combination against Leeds. I thought it was a nice, a really nice game for that combination to, to be involved in. And I was kind of expecting Kulusevsky to be providing a bit more than he did for Doherty. And it just didn't work out that way in the end. But Doherty, aside from the, the goal that he scored, first goal, he also had that other really good chance when he got on the end of the pass from Kane as well. And unfortunately, mm. his first touch just took him a little bit wide. But I think he otherwise probably would have scored that. He, he did a good job of you know trying to lift over the keeper nonetheless. Um, but that was really, really promising. And I thought... Um, you know, the fact that Conte specifically mentioned post-match that he was really happy that, you know, one wing-back pass into the other resulted in a goal, I think that was very telling. Very, very telling. And, and I think we might see them get some more game time together as well. I think there's a there's a combination there. I mean, Leeds were the perfect the perfect opponents for us to play. I, you know, there's a lot to really like about how Leeds play. I do think that perhaps they almost like ideas above their station, the way the system they play and how they play, they just haven't got the players good enough to, to do it. And um, I listened to you on um, uh, All Stats Are We and I, I feel I feel a lot of compassion for Leeds, man. I do. I, I, I'm quite fond of them. They were like my dad's team when he turned up in England in the 70s. He went to, he saw Leeds play at Chelsea and he's just always been a kind of a semi-Leeds fan. So I've always had always had a soft spot for him but yeah you you can't play like that with those individuals mm. they've got dreadful injury problems as well at the moment they're really suffering from you know their three key players apart from Rafinha uh Bamford Phillips and Liam Cooper all being out injured is a is a real problem for them um and and like you say the the way they play is very exposing when you haven't got that quality on the pitch. You know, especially not having Bamford, I think it's such an issue. Not having a a striker that can actually keep the ball. Um, yeah. Kino says, I don't particularly care anymore about feelings towards him or whether he'll stay or go. But among the best players you see in the Tottenham shirt, where do you rate him? This is about Harry Kane, obviously. And uh, Nathan, do you think he's the best you've seen in a Spurs shirt? Um, probably, probably. I think if you take like longevity into it, maybe, maybe Bale had a better peak. Maybe you think that Modric and Dembele performed different roles to a similar brilliance, but Kane has now done that, um, for just about every season he's played. Um, I don't know. I don't know how far back you want to, you want to take that in Spurs history. Um, I guess Greaves is, is the only real historical comparison. 
some some say hodl some say hodl is okay. um, is worth a shout uh and it's and obviously it's really difficult for us to to comment on Grease and hodl none, none of us saw them live none of them none of us watched full games at the time so we we're very reliant on our our parents and people of our parents age to I might actually to tell do us. that by the way and might I might interview my dad nice that that would be great uh i i mean kane's the best player i've seen in the spurs shirt uh, I think he's so. So Bale and Modric both went off to one of the best clubs in the world at the time, uh, and I think Kane, if he were to leave, would go to one of the best clubs in the world. And I think that that speaks volumes. And I think you could have said that about Kane over any of the past five seasons. That were he to leave, it would be to one of the very best clubs in the world. And you know, by dint of the fact that he's carried it on for so long, as you alluded to there, Nathan, I think that makes him the best. It's the longevity. It's um. It's not just the longevity, it's the ability of Kane to not only be an elite finisher, but an elite playmaker now as well. He's just an extraordinary, really extraordinary player. I mean, I do feel very lucky that I've sort of lived through the Harry Kane Spurs era. It's It's been pretty special so far, and long may it continue. Buddy, how about I mean, you? Where's your rank? Yeah, I think I think the greatest player I've ever seen play for Spurs is, is probably Gareth Bale, but his time period was maybe 15, 16 months of being like genuine, world-class, incredible, insane things that he he did. He, I mean, he was a game changer in the same kind of sense of Harry Kane. Perhaps he was even a little bit more explosive because the goals he would just, just swing in from, um, from far out. I remember the last few games under AVB where the team was an absolute misery and he would just pick it up and just blast it in. Sunderland, Southampton, the end of that reign. West Brom away, the goals he scored against Norwich. So Gareth Bale is probably the best player I've seen, but he was here for such a short period of time. Harry Kane has stretched this out for seven, eight years. And so he he probably is the best player just because of that that I've seen. Luka Modric deserves a shout because mm. he, he was brilliant. And the fact that he's still at the top level right now, despite his advanced age, shows how good he was. I'd also I'd like to give a little nod to, um, to Berbatov, who I thought was a brilliant, brilliant striker as well. So they're probably the best Spurs players I've seen in my lifetime. I'm... Um, I'm kind of too too young really to pass comment on Gaza. I saw I saw Gaza in '91 in the cup run, which was incredible. Um, Waddle, I, I saw Waddle, but it was mostly recorded. So yeah, Kane Kane is the best, followed by Bale, Modric, and then maybe Gaza Waddle. He had another really brilliant brilliant performance against Leeds. Um, man of the match, rightly so. Sort of pretty much. Pretty much perfect. Uh, you know, a, a couple of things might have gone better. There was a, a breakaway where he sort of underhit the cross and it got blocked out. That's about the only thing that I can think of that he, he didn't do perfectly. He was so good again, so effective. His goal was just. I mean, to, to watch, the, be able to watch the ball onto your foot like that, to be aware of the keeper's positioning and just guide it into the far post. I mean, he makes it look easy, and it's so difficult to do that. I'm sort of running out of superlatives for Harry Kane. I think there's also something we need to consider is the the timing of the run now because there was a time in football where you you, you didn't have to get it spot on because hmm. VAR wasn't around. So as we saw in the cup final yesterday, the amount of goals disallowed for offside is that that discipline and that understanding of, of when to move. And I think that's what makes Kane probably the best number nine in the world is because he understands that and he thinks through everything he does. His ability to not stray offside, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the goal that got disallowed at Southampton got for offside, it wasn't offside. He, he's really smart at that. And I, th- I think he do- 
modern strikers have to think about so much now. And I think he, that's why he's the best. He also plays the pass early enough to avoid Son being offside, you know? Yeah, yeah. That pass to Son. <laughs> which one, Wendy? <laughs> which, of the, which of the 10 in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, it does feel like that, doesn't it? But this one, I think this one is particularly exquisite because of... So he sort of hits it with his, I guess, the little toe and, and the next toe along uh, part of his foot. Okay. Um, to sort of almost the outside of his foot, but not quite, um, to sort of put enough... Basically, he makes it go straight, but then it dies just in time to land perfectly onto Son's chest, just over the top of the Leeds defence, and having anticipated the fact that they're all running towards their own goal. It is immaculate. It is perfect. He makes makes it possible for Son to control it. When you see it from the reverse angle, it looks spectacular. But it's effortless as well. He doesn't look like he even has to try now. He just gets the ball out of his feet and he's got his head up straight away. He doesn't look down at the ball. He just strikes it perfectly right into the path of the player he wants to find. Incredible. Yeah, he hits it like Federer would hit a um, hit a shot down to the back end, down to the the baseline. It, it, there's a brilliant amount of fade on it. It's mm. wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, John McKenzie, Leeds fan, was was in person um, and came away, you know, unable to not compliment Kane on on his on his brilliance and especially that pass. Yeah, I mean that is a common thing when fans get to see Kane in the flesh for the first time. They sort of leave unbelievably impressed. Um, Kane and Son broke the record for goal combinations. Uh, just again, absolutely remarkable. Two players who understand one another, who complement one another. Um, the goal breakdown is interesting, though. <laughs> I put this in. I knew I put this in to put a little cat amongst the pigeons. Go on. Well, it's um, two goals under Conte, one under Nuno, um, seventeen goals and in five seasons under Mauricio Pochettino, and then. 17 goals in a season and a half under my former manager. So I, I think it's all down to Jose. No, he unlocked he unlocked the magic duo. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of difficult to argue with that. The only thing I would say <laughs> is that it was it's literally his only route to goal, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, why not rely on these two fantastic players? Because they are fantastic players. I do think, um, I obviously I'm being tongue-in-cheek here, but I do think the, the amount of goals that they've scored under Jose was probably down to the fact that we, we lost Ericsson, mm-hmm. Delhi dropped off, and uh, yeah, our other goal-scoring routes kind of disappeared. We ended up with, with a Lucas who doesn't do, doesn't get gets maybe four assists a season and two goals. So yeah, we had to rely on those two. I'm just running a data visualisation here, and it says, yeah, all 17 of the 17 goals we scored under Jose Mourinho involved Sip Kane and Son. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I want to give a mention to Kulusevski for his his very strong performance again. Terrific goal, really impressive. I, I don't know what Lorente was doing. I think he was trying to do that skill where you kind of you you roll the ball under your foot as you're turning to try and drag it out of Kulusevski's path. Watch it back and, and watch Lorente and watch what he's doing. It is absolutely bizarre. He could could have just cleared the ball. But nonetheless, Kulisevsky basically picks the ball up by the corner flag and then a few seconds later he's having a shot from inside the box. It's, it's uh, really assist. impressive. A Doherty assist, a goal and an assist. Yeah, yeah. He roll, rolls it back to Doherty, who then, uh, who, who yeah, plays the assist. Um, Kulisevsky is an absolute breath of fresh air. Nathan, are you a fan? I am, I am. Um, I, I'm a little fearful of like... Um, 
building up too much expectation around like the five performances he's put in so far have been really really good if he remains at that level for the rest of his Spurs career then you know what what a player um I'm assuming there's going to be like a, a small dip at some mm-hmm. point you know uh, maybe you would say you know the Burnley game is is sort of the lower end of his of his capabilities I think um I think if you look at like the right side of combination of Lucas and Emerson Royale like Royale he wants to stay wide he wants to do quick little combinations cute interplays um his crossing is all right <laughs> I uh, honest um uh you know sort of one touch two touch football um and and having sort of a partner to work with Lucas wants to receive the ball to feet deep turn take on 12 players um <laughs> And then you look at the combination of Kulisevsky as like a number 10 who wants to drift out wide to where the space is. And Doherty, who's like not a great creative player, but will move inside to come and target. Like there's a much better combination of players mm. there in, in the, in the latter half. Uh, like there, there are, there are things that, that Lucas can offer better than Kulisevsky can. Um, I think generally, um, Kulisevsky's, uh, tendency to move wide on the ball is not sort of that Conte friendly, um, but it's definitely working really well for us so far. Um, his, his sort of pseudo wing back performance against Man City is, is, uh, definitely sort of the best side of that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's working really well. I really like him. I think Juventus are silly. Mm, definitely. Um, Jeff Nellison from Chicago has a question for you, Nathan. He says, I noticed after halftime that Sonny was coming in to that number 10 role that Kane usually does in midfield and uses speed and dribbling to make something creative happen a couple of times. Was this just because we were toppling Leeds 3-0 or is this something Conte implemented in order to get some creative spark? No, this is more like the the default of how Conte wants to play the 3-4-3. Right? The, the expectation is that the two number 10s are there. Um, frequently come towards the play and offer things in that central area and Sun's really struggled with that sort of the role hasn't he um and so in the more recent games we've lent away from that sort of default mm. and towards okay go back to just being a constant threat in behind and don't worry so much about the 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 coming inside and 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 linking play thing uh but against a heavily defeated Leeds who were tired and are about to lose their manager and everything else. Um, we got to see the Sun maybe can do some things in, in that position. He's not a complete write-off. Definitely. And as we've seen before with Sun, once he kind of turns and is facing goal, he's very happy to run through the centre of the pitch at defences. In fact, he relishes it. <laughs> he loves it, doesn't he? He really he does. Galloping. And it's not even like um a bit of skill. It's not there's no step overs or anything else like that. He just it just sidesteps. It's like one of those eight bit computers with the joystick that you could just move in diagonals. <laughs> he just he just it works for him. He, did you see his face though at the end of the game? He had a proper scratch yeah. across his face. Yeah, yeah. That looked that looked sore. It did look sore. It definitely did. Uh, Bard, you're going to like this one from Fergus McKee. Mm. He said, as well as the usual props to Kane's performance, Romero's superior skill and Dyer's big head, please can you devote some time to Ben Maldini Davis, <laughs> who despite not being in shot, managed to block the shot that, uh, that obviously Dallas took, having beaten Lloris. I mean, what was... Lloris is a concern <laughs> at the moment. I'm going I'm to say that right now. But, um, but Bardi, give, give Ben Davis some props. I mean, there was a time 
we we talked about a lot where Ben was just boiled chicken and veg and he just didn't offer anything. But since he's moved into a back three, he, uh, there's been a couple of mistakes recently. But other than that, he's been faultless. He's good on the ball. He underlaps, he underlaps well. He um, supports the other two. And he's just brilliant. And um, I'm, not in a, I'm not in a rush to replace him. I'm not out there screaming for a new left-sided centre-back. I think he's fine. We can, we can do another year or two or even four years with Ben Davis. <laughs> oh, my there. God. I'm, I'm really, really fond of him. And he is, he is my player of the year because he was, <laughs> really? he was, he was rubbish. Come on. I'm t- we're talking about like a narrative arc here and he was, he was dead. We all wanted him gone. Now all of a sudden he's a mainstay. And if Ben Davies is injured, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. You realize this. Yeah, but, because... but that's because we haven't got any other left-sided players <laughs> yeah. rather well, than him that, being that... particularly. I mean, he's, don't get me wrong. He's, he's really stepped up and he's played, he's played well. Uh, yeah. I'm still pretty convinced that he's an easy up, a player we can easily upgrade uh, in the summer and no, I think no, we will um, player of the year is Dyer sure I mean Dyer's been Dyer's yeah. been fantastic this season yeah I don't think so I mean he's been great but he's not Ben da- he's not Ben Davies levels of um, of, of um, improvement <laughs> the block was really impressive from Davis the, t- the sort of tenacity for him and Sessegnon to get back and defend that moment mm. was, was good I was really pleased with that but Dallas should he should have just shot earlier basically had an open goal to roll the ball into and tried to take too many touches perhaps didn't trust himself um yeah it was an interesting moment I mean Lloris had I used to play in goal and every now and then in games which were pretty boring you'd just do something mental just to um just to keep just to keep everyone on their toes he tried to, to grab him he tried to grab his ankle <laughs> He, Dallas, he should have just he should have just got him sent off, and then then we would have had Gallini in goal for a few games. But <laughs> yeah, it, it it was just a bizarre thing. He was just bored, which is strange considering he was quite busy actually. Um, but yeah, I don't know what he's doing. And you're right to worry. Since he signed his contract, he started to make really questionable decisions and and some some big errors. He's had some rough games. Hopefully, that mm. will just be the end of it. Now <laughs> we won't have to worry about it again. But yeah, he's had a couple of iffy performances for sure. Um, I want I want to mention Romero, uh, but this is I mean this will tie into the discussion about Burnley. I think so. What we saw against Burnley was Romero going forward and staying forward, and and that continued a couple of times against Leeds. I, I cannot remember who said it first on Twitter, but um, someone and I, I apologise for not crediting you uh, called him Romero. R-O-A-M-E-R-O. So I'm, I'm going with that for now when he does these, these forward runs. I'm, I'm really enjoying his performances. Mm-hmm. He's special, isn't he? <laughs> with the, the, I, we were all like singing his praises in the first half against Burnley and then the match got much worse and then he conceded the, the, Burnley's goal and it's kind of sounded it and now I'm, I'm afraid to, to, to compliment him. It's, it's still true, Nathan. It's, he's it's he's still a definitely brilliant true. defender. So he, he's he's basically brilliant at everything except one thing, I think, and that is marking from set pieces uh, where, well, where I, he, I, he struggles. Or he certainly struggled against Burnley. And then also, I mean, the this this. Pascal strike is it Pascal strike uh, header that he missed early on um, that was on Romero as well but he kind of got blocked off by I think possibly Dan James in in that instance so you could perhaps put that one down to sort of good set piece play from Leeds but uh, I've noticed a couple of times that he doesn't always get up with his man he doesn't get up early enough with his man from set pieces so that's just he's not to keep used to on. this. He's not used to this kind of chucking it in the box, get it in the mix of football. He's, he's from from warmer climes, man. He's from he's from Serie A, where things are a little bit more slower, as you like to say, Wendy. <laughs> oh, so you're going to agree with me now, are you? 
no. I'm just I'm just talking about one of your stereotypes of Italian football that it's too slow and it, people need to adjust to the pace of the Premier League because it's the best football place in the world. Oh, I see. So, so you're going to use it when it suits your argument and dismiss it when it suits mine. <laughs> of course, but I do think. Um, criticising a defender for um, getting done at the back post by a Burnley special in the rain, in the wind, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of harsh. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Let's talk Burnley then. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And, 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 and I don't want to say that this wasn't dreadfully disappointing because it really was dreadfully disappointing after the City game. I fully expected us to be Burnley. Uh, even at half time, I was pretty happy with how things were going. I was kind of thinking, you know, Burnley have pressed fairly effectively and yet we've been fairly press resistant, actually. And we coped really well, I thought, with their with their pressing onslaught. The issue was that we were struggling to create chances against a packed defence, which has been a problem for Spurs for, for a while. Um, but it, in my view, certainly it looked like we were getting stronger as the first half went on and then came out for the start of the second half and looked even better. So I was I was all ready to go, yeah, see, look, told you so. We, we, we did win after all and everything's fine. And then, of course, Ben Mee nods one in. They did have another good chance from um, a set piece after that as well. But I, I've noticed um, some some, uh, some commentary in the media, actually, that, that Burnley really pressed us and it was a real issue. Their pressing was a real problem. I didn't think that was the case. It's certainly not in the same way that Southampton was. I mean, was that, was, that genuinely was a problem for Spurs. We couldn't cope with Southampton's press. Burnley's, I thought, was a little bit more basic. You know, they, what the problem with Burnley, that we struggle with with Burnley, is they funnel you out to the wings yeah. and, and, and get you to put balls mm. in the box. And then they've got fantastic centre-backs in terms of heading the ball away. And we had um, um, Emerson Royale, who, you know, we've all acknowledged is not a good crosser of the ball. And others, you know, Kulisevsky was struggling to cross the ball as well. He had lots of crossing opportunities. Uh, and we just couldn't pick out a man in the box, effectively. Um, any comments on the Burnley game from either of you? So we talked about... Um pressing which is obviously an enormously encompassing term um which accounts for all of defending basically <laughs> so when southampton and and not alone in that but when southampton presses they they're going directly all the way to the center backs and looking to create um turnovers and they're going like man for man that they're, they're they're matching our shape and stuff like that whereas what burnley were doing is that they 
they do commit players up towards the ball, um, but they those players remain quite passive. They're not looking to put in much in the way of actual tackles and uh, and interceptions and the like. What they're doing is sort of slowing the progress of the ball. So they pressed in a four four two shape where they put the two forwards sort of on the two Spurs midfielders. Uh, and yeah, uh, uh, they Burnley, um, despite what I just said about <laughs> man-to-man there, they, they defend quite zonally and they leave the the wings. So the wing backs are open. So essentially, um, Burnley did a very good job of um, forcing our creativity to come through our wing backs and making things difficult and slow and awkward for our central midfielders. And those are essentially our creative weak points as as, as a team. Now, to an extent, it's always going to be difficult to open up, you know, a, a, a strong, mm-hmm. consistent park bus. But also, Burnley had like three wins this this season so far. Historically, Conte's way of opening up a parked bus is to just go at it with the wing backs for ninety minutes until they collapse under the pressure and to dominate the game. Um, and to try to, and, and this is what what Conte is sort of really exceptional at, is to draw them out into defending higher than they want to by sort of manipulating the ball and uh, and 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 pressing triggers and sort of teasing the opposition with the ball uh, so that they come out of their shape a little bit. Um, but Burnley were just so um, disciplined, so disciplined with their shape, um, pressing just enough to make things difficult for us without ever committing, you know, <laughs> any players in front of the ball, really. Mm-hmm. Um which again is, is is what they've always been good at, um, but we are it is a you know a Burnley in the midst of a bad season. I know I think that you know um, while we remain not great at, at wing back, this is going to be a weakness. I don't think it undermines the performances either side of it. Uh, yes, to an extent, if you want to zoom out further and you look at Wolves of Southampton, we're sort of a bit of a, a manic team. Yeah, our performances are very up and down, and Conte. Um, <laughs> Body, how dramatic are Italians? Pretty dramatic. Yeah, I have my moments. <laughs> which 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 exaggerates how up and down things are, but things are kind of up and down. But I think specifically Burnley. Um, what I mean to say is that like this is a weakness that we're facing and we're struggling through now, rather than an inherent weakness of Conte's football or something that I I think that we can improve in this specific area. I think that we can become very strong um, to an extent where surrendering you know 70% of the ball against us is a death sentence at the moment it's not and that's partly personnel it's partly you no know, pre-season it's partly Conte's you know still in his first season all those kinds of things um but I'm not too concerned about this performance in isolation it just looks kind of rough when you go why do we win 4-0 <laughs> and, and then three days later look like we don't know how you know what shape a ball uh, just specifically on Burnley, I do think we were. I, I know what you. I, I completely take your point, Nathan. That they've only won a couple of matches all season, whatever. But um, we played them at a really bad time. This is what Burnley do. They start the season terribly, and then they always kick into gear around Christmas or just after, and they start picking up points. And this time, they've got records to really help with that. And he's a he's a good player. He's and he's perfectly suited to Burnley. He's you know big lad who can hold the ball up and also put the ball in the back of the net when he gets half a chance. Um, so I do think we sort of played we we were unfortunate that we played them at a bad time when they just started to hit some decent form. I don't disagree with that. 
I just find it hard to come on this podcast and be like, well, we played, you know, Southampton. They had their best performance of the season. And we played Burnley. They've had one of their <laughs> best performances of the season. And there's only so many times I feel I can actually say that. Before I, you know, I start to doubt myself, to be honest. So I know what you mean. I, I really do think we can put all three of these defeats down to blips, though. I really do. I, I mean, just... Taking, I know you kind of said that if you zoom out, it looks worse. But if you zoom in, Southampton absolutely pressed us impeccably. They will never, <laughs> they'll never have a match like that where they press again for ninety minutes. Wolves caught us out with two early mistakes, and Burnley had a you know the archetypal wet, windy night in Burnley. <laughs> awful, awful weather conditions where they just defended their box brilliantly and, and scored from a set piece. They burned us. I guess I guess the bigger picture, uh, the more important argument is to say, zoom out further and look back to Nuno Ball or look back mm-hmm. to the end under Mourinho um, and even kind of before that in a different way. And things are getting better and there's going to be more stumbling along the way. But things have definitely improved and the underlying data of how we've improved under Conte is, is really quite startling. Um so I don't know. I I've I don't have any fear about us breaking Conte or or any of that, or the idea that like we're just completely cursed as a club, or that the squad is so bad that there's just like we would need seven years to every, all of them have to go, you know, that kind of stuff. I just it's all right. It's all right. It's going to take a bit of time, but it's it's all right. It's definitely right. I mean, specifically, Buddy on the the Burnley performance. Um, aside from Romero. You know, showing some some really nice play where he brought the ball out and then stayed forward and joined him with some attacks. Was there anything that caught your eye as particularly notable, or or was it just one to forget? I think it's definitely one to forget. And there's going there's going to be these games this early in, in the Conte reign, and at moments where we need, like Nathan says, to be able to build out from the wings and utilize the space they give us down down the wings. We just don't have the players quite there yet. Also, we lost Betanko really early. Mm. And I thought he was having a, a decent game, and I don't think this was. I didn't. I thought I thought he was doing all right. I think he's still. I think his level's better than Winks, and I think Winks coming on hurt us a little bit more. Um, I think we probably might have been able to edge something from this game, but it's it's Burnley, man, and it's it's Burnley in the wind and the rain, and it's it's a bad place to go. And I, I swear to God, I, I'm fed up. I'm bored of watching Burnley, Same. and I, I really I really hope they go down because. I don't. I don't know how they put up with it. I, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with that kind of Aunt Bessie's football all the time. It's. It's too much. It's. I mean. It's just like. It's basically like um, an FA Cup underdog match, isn't it? Except every yeah, week, every, twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, yeah. For like, how long has he been there? <laughs> like eight years. And, and look, that's not snobbery because Dice is doing a really good job he's with doing, the resources tremendous. at his disposal. It's incredible what he's achieving, but. But I, I wouldn't like to watch it. I must admit, I, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't say I would enjoy watching it. They enjoy rattling teams, don't they? I mean, and Spurs were rattled yeah. on set pieces. We were rattled. We couldn't cope with their set pieces. McNeil's got a he's got a good left foot. Weghorst, Weghorst, he's an absolute totem pole <laughs> of a striker. He's like what Patrick Stick should be. He's um he's quite unbelievable, and he was being involved all across the pitch and. Yeah, I mean he's twenty nine years old, but he's a, he's a proper Plan B. He's a I'd I'd put him on our bench. Man. He's decent. He's a, he's definitely mm. a decent player. Um, McNeil was fabulous again. Uh, he always seems to play well against Spurs, but that's probably because he always seems to play well. Full stop. I, 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 Nick Pope as well. I, I do I do like Nick Pope. I think he's pretty. I don't know what his kicking stats are like, but he's he's just a no nonsense goalkeeper. You wouldn't see him fiddling around the halfway <laughs> line against Leeds doing that kind of madness. Agreed. Um, we, I think we do need to touch on Conte's post-match existential crisis. 
I'm I'm just going to say I'm I would not be commenting on this. I'm I've made a stand. I've muted all aggregator sites. I've muted all our beat journalists. I'm not going to be commenting on this weekly kind of drama of is he staying? Is he going? What's happening? What's what's going on here? And just all these journalists and everybody just waiting for him to say. I don't think there's ever been anyone who psychoanalyzes this guy before. I mean, there's 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 like dictators in the world trying to blow up other countries that they don't get the level of 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 intense speculation that Conte does. And so I, I'm going to stop. I will not talk about Conte's comments ever again. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a week ago, I agree with you on that completely, but like he hasn't, he hasn't helped himself in that regard, has he? <laughs> he absolutely Silence. brings it on himself. Absolutely. Bring, and this is what I was saying about the transfer stuff that he, you know, this but, guy Italia. He's giving opinions. Like, but otherwise he doesn't need just to. Have, just, just, otherwise, he's what he's got. Oh, but it was a bad one for the fans. Otherwise, he just churns out. He's not going to churn out PR ready, bland, vanilla statements. He's, he's not, he's not, yeah, I'm not, I was going to say something bad. He's not like that. He's not a vanilla outlet of, of information. He's, um, he's going to be upset. He's going to be pissed off. He's going to be happy. And that's what it is. And we, we can't just keep thinking, oh, he's going to leave because he's pissed off at losing to Burnley. <laughs> I definitely did like come away from those first match comments being like, well, we definitely need to back him in the summer, which I guess is like, that's the entire point, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I've got no doubt about him staying at the club at all that he just really keenly feels the losses. He, um, he hates to lose and he wears that on his sleeve, but the way he does it, especially with some of the mistranslations around, you know, when you're speaking in a second language, things can get lost a little bit. It, it, it did come across as, incredibly neurotic post Burnley he's kind of sort of the kind of well is it me is it me then am I, am I the one that's terrible <laughs> you know it's that kind of response and I don't know it's a, it's a little bit much it's a little bit much for my taste but as I said before I'm gonna I'm gonna continue just to accept whatever he says because I think he's a brilliant brilliant manager but what do you want him to say what what in an ideal world Wendy that you write his script what do you want him to say after losing that game it wasn't necessarily what he says although in this instance it was it's sometimes the way he says it i just want him okay, to so, be a little bit so calmer write a, a little bit calmer post match and say we need to go home <laughs> and reflect on on the performance kind of thing have you seen Antonio Well, this Conte? is it. I know he's, he's being himself, but being himself is what has raised everyone's heart rate so much. That's why, you know, he's the, the, the beat journalists will be absolutely loving this because there's constant stories to write about what he's saying. Homework for Bardi is to go back and read some some post-match uh, comments from Conte at Inter, and maybe even Juve after the losses to see see how dramatic he got there before going on, you know, massive win streaks. Mm. I mean, I, Nemo slurs into my DMs after big results or big things, and he goes, "How's it going?" <laughs> I was just like, "This is this is what you get. This is this is what you get with him." Yep. And just we just need to get past this. It's not a shock anymore. He's um, he's yeah. This is going to continue to happen. It's not a story. It's not. No, a but story it is a story. Goes, it, it, this is is what you get, but it also is a story because he makes it a story. So it, no, because it's not. This is if, if something is repeated every single week, it's not a story. That's that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Is it? If if somebody keeps, if you're, I can't even, can't even think of an analogy to, to sum this up. So I'm just gonna. If someone continues to get upset about something, that's just that's his behaviour. It's not a story. That's just how he is. So just let him be. Just let him be upset when he's when we've been bad. He, let him be happy when we've won games. It's not. There's people on Twitter saying he's got bipolar. It's like who the fuck made you a doctor? <laughs> 
and everybody's psychoanalyzing him. Just let him be. Let him manage the club. And and uh, you've done really well because I wasn't going to talk about this. And <laughs> here I am, five minutes later, shouting at my <laughs> microphone with a dog looking at me. So I'm I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, Nathan Tom Hendy says, watching the Burnley game in Australia, our commentary and pre-game were making quite the fuss about Burnley's four-four-two and how it will do well to cope with the 3-4-3. They then went on to spend the first half imploring Burnley to hit it long to Weghorst and belittling our wing-backs for not hitting crosses early in the wet and windy conditions before adding Burnley's centre-back love of fending off crosses. Is there a basic tactical mismatch with a 4-4-2 versus 3-4-3 or was this the commentators trying to play footballing hipster? Uh, I don't think that there is a tactical mismatch. Like Again, going back to what I said earlier, is that like... Um, Conte's answer to these situations is to just use the wing backs to to the highest degree, right? And it's like if if we in that game we didn't have Emerson Royale, we had Akra Hakimi. Like <laughs> we we put three in in the first half, and that that is as simple as that. So like, there's some truth to what they're saying. They're also saying contradictory things. Hit the crosses early, and also <laughs> Burnley centre centre backs love fending off crosses. Um. No, I don't think we need to like be afraid of the four four two. It was appropriate in this match under these conditions, uh, and also maximized. I mean, essentially, like up until um the the big Bernie chance at the end, not the goal. Um, it was it was a game with like a handful of shots and mm-hmm. less than one expected goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was about Burnley making like the game not happen. It's not like we we're like undone as a unit by by the most common defensive formation. <laughs> like because again, like most teams, whether they're playing like four two three one in position or whatever, most teams defend in a four four two and also Conte wins most games, right? So so uh yeah. Just to answer that, Burnley's four four two is is particularly specific. So they play with incredibly narrow back yeah. four an incredibly narrow midfield four, and then the front two do come back as well and get behind the ball as much as possible. So you're not going to come up against too many four four twos that are that compact, that narrow, and want to to force you out to the wings every time. So I, I mean, I think um, I think maybe it's 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 just an unfortunate mismatch for Conte against Dyche in that. At the moment, with the wing backs we've got in the form they're in, it's a bit of a problem. Maybe next year, if we've got different wing backs, things will be different. But um, I don't think there's anything specific to four four two that is, like Nathan says, is, is generally a problem. I think it's just that this Burnley four four two is difficult for most teams to play against generally, unless they've got incredibly good wingers um, who deliver pinpoint balls or can cut inside and shoot effectively. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I found it an interesting game, but very, very frustrating, uh, particularly as I was expecting to win it. And it kind of, it kills some of my good vibes after City. So then having a comfortable win against Leeds was a wonderful tonic. Um, Itai from Israel says, following this defeat, the Burnley game and, and blow morale, I'd love to hear your opinions on Oliver Skip. Looking back at the season so far, it seems like the most consistent and determined player we've had has been Skip. Whenever he's played, he's added a ton of energy to our squad and has been a real nuisance to any opposition teams. Are the recent losses related to the fact that Skippy's been injured and how important could his return be? I mean, I think Skip has definitely grown in in stature since he's been injured. Uh, But I I don't think it's because... I don't think our losses are anything related to him. Scheuberg has played pretty well in, in two of the three games that he's he started recently. Um, I think our, our problems against Southampton, Wolves uh, and Burnley are well documented. It's, I don't think it's really centre midfield, although we could always be a bit better there. Anything to add, Nathan? Uh, I sort of want to avoid 
skip discourse right now to be honest i i uh I feel a little up in the air about my feelings on this subject. I, I'm going to be a coward and back out. <laughs> I mean, I think Skip is a really good young player. Yeah. And I think he's currently basically on a level with our other midfielders. And so I don't think necessarily that his absence had any impact on the losses necessarily. But what I would say is him not being available means that essentially you're, you're restricted in your choices and restricted in the rotation. Mm. So it puts more minutes in the legs of players who might otherwise have been rested. And I did think against Burnley that we looked tired. Um, I mean, I often think when people say, oh, Spurs look tired, they, they, that's kind of a, a go-to thing when you're you're having a bad performance after a good performance. But actually, I really did think we looked tired in, in the first half in particular of the Burnley game probably because they put so much into the city win and you know we didn't make much we didn't do much rotation and having skip available to have played in one of them and and rotated out either Huey Bier or Winks would have been really really useful I think um, I, I I think Ben Tancor is is really good I like him a lot I I didn't think he was that good against Burnley to be honest I thought he was getting caught in the ball a bit again like he did against City um and obviously the, what was really positive about his performance against City was his his forward pressing was fantastic and that wouldn't have had the same impact against Burnley I don't think had he stayed on and actually I thought uh, the best part of the game for us was about the first 15 or 20 minutes of the second half uh where I thought Winks was doing a pretty good job but again, Bentancourt being injured is a nightmare because we're down to two fit midfielders right now and that's going to take its toll. We've seen what happens with Huey Bear when he plays and plays and plays. His performances do eventually drop off. So just having another body there would be really useful at the moment. Uh, James says, having time to, to think about the Burnley result and buoyed by a great first half against Leeds... Looking at the stats, we had somewhere between 41 and 45% possession. In the Burnley game, it was 60% plus. I'd be interested to know our record with greater than 60% possession because I imagine it's abysmal. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's abysmal, but I do think like at the moment we're having a better time when when uh, either there's like a more even share of possession, there are spells back and forth, or or the other team are having more of the ball. And again, it goes back to like we're we're just not quite there yet with our um, with our individual and collective creativity in terms of breaking open the parked bus. But again, I think it will come. Definitely. And I wanted to shout out Matt D who asked a similar question also about sort of the deep block that we we struggle against. Um, One thing I would say is we've now seen a few different automations be successful. So we we spoke about the um, the Son run towards the ball and then spinning behind run against City. And then obviously against Leeds, we've seen the the both fullbacks attacking at the same time. And actually the thing to note about that's... um, that goal was Doherty was on his bike and Nathan made this point that he the, the wing backs weren't contributing to build up much against Leeds. If you watch that first goal back when we have possession in our back line, Doherty is on his bike pretty quickly, pretty early on in that move. And I think that's that's notable um, in the Leeds game for sure. So I'm pretty encouraged that the automations are starting to take effect. One thing I would say is it would be really nice if we could not only concede from set pieces, but score from them as well, because that would take some of the heat off um, in, in certain matches. And, and we've not quite seen the um, set piece goals that I was expecting to date, which is a little frustrating. 
We did hit the bar against Burnley from a set piece. Remind me, I, it's, I've wiped it from um, my memory. Someone, I think it was Sun whipped it in, Kane head out. Was it the bar? Pretty sure it was the bar. I cannot remember that. So it's mad, isn't it? It's only a week ago. And, um... Yeah, I think it was about the 60th minute or mm. so. I haven't watched the highlights back, but I, I think it was around then. Uh, how much rotation do you think there'll be for the Middlesbrough match? Um, I think we'll probably see Galini. I think Loris needs removing... <laughs> And he needs, a, he needs a sit down for a little bit. So I think we'll see him. Um, I don't think there'll be much more rotation. Um, Kane will start, Sun will st- Maybe Maybe Bergwijn will start over Sun, but I, I don't think there'll be a lot of rotation just because I don't think we have many players to rotate in or out. I did wonder about Bergwijn. He he um, is someone who hasn't had that many minutes. Uh, he looked, looked good when he came on against Leeds, I thought. Looked lively, carried the ball really well. I'd be very much in favour of him starting against Middlesbrough. I'd be in favour of, of resting Son and Kulusevski, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be fine with that. I, I don't think we can do a lot of rotation in midfield unless we play Harvey White, which is which is possible. And then perhaps Regulon comes back in for Sessegnon to give Sessegnon a bit of a rest. And, and perhaps Emerson Royale comes back in for Doherty. So some, some tweaks, yep. perhaps. Yeah, I think Conte might have been a bit scared about what happened with Morecambe, so I, I don't think it would be wholesale. But I, I, I have a funny feeling we might see Galini. So since we last spoke about the Y world, uh, Spurs have made a, a, a statement about wanting to sort of phase out the use of the word. And the response from the fan base um, has been to sing it more, basically, and to sort of be resistant to that message. I, I wanted to say a few thank yous actually for people who've been in touch with their thoughts on the Y word. So Joe Wagner, Phil Mayo, Alex Klim, Sean, Nathan DePaul and David Deke. Thank you very much. Um, Nathan, you had some thoughts, I think, on this. Yeah, it's kind of funny timing that the, the, this, um, this thing has been around. We did a, we did a bunch of um, platforming of, of various different opinions. Um I think uh, what we've seen from 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 Spurs recently, and what we showed in the the um, the the sort of little voice clips that we were putting on the end, is that there's a there's a very diverse opinion from from Jewish people. Um, so the majority of um, Jewish non-Spurs fans are against our use of the word, whereas within the Spurs fan base. Um, it seems it seems sort of pretty significantly split, and I think that uh, basically, as long as this this is an issue for Jewish people to sort out, and not for non-Jewish people to to sort of um, you know have casting deciding decisions about. Um, I understand both, um, you know, opinions on this matter, both inside and outside of the, the fan base. I think everyone has sort of fairly reasoned arguments. You know, the best version of their argument is a, is a reasonable one. Um, but it's for us to, to stay out of on, and for Jewish people to discuss it amongst themselves. And I recommend in the meantime, while the topic remains unsure that you, you wear on the side of the caution, uh, 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 and do the best by the most people you can and avoid using a word that I don't think is ours to use. Um, it is worth pointing out that most of our good songs contain the Y word, a significant number of our best tunes. Um, that is its own sort of separate challenge. Doesn't really change the point, but I, I do recognise it as 
as as a significant inconvenience in in this task um but basically i don't think i don't think that we can we can say much or other non-jewish people can say much or or really reach a conclusion really i don't think there is a uh there isn't a discussion for us to have it's not for us you know it's it's so complicated as someone who was at the wolves game which was the the, the first game after the statement the the crowd was singing it after two minutes and it was a it was a proper stand of we're going to sing it and this is our word. It's always gonna be it that way. It's us. always gonna be any time that the yep. club tell fans how to behave, there's gonna be that isn't how it has to come from within the fan base and it has to come from from yeah. a sort of collective decision of Jewish Spurs fans about about what they want. You're never gonna get a, a total hundred percent agreement on anything. Um um but but it it remains their discussion to have, I believe. You know? I I I I agree with Nathan. I'm I'm more so conscious when it's when it's sung now. Should I sing it? And it's I, I don't I don't know. I can't give an opinion on this either way. It's not for me to give an opinion on it. I will try not to sing it, but yeah, it's it's such a complicated topic. I must admit I'm slightly cynical about the club's reasoning as well. Of course, of course. I, I, uh, yeah. In light of the podcast that that Greg Jenner kindly donated to us, um, go back and listen to that if you haven't already. I think there's some really interesting points. Not least that it is a word that is now being exported around the world due to due to Spurs, and that will no doubt have an impact on Spurs' commercial activity. And and I wonder cynically whether that is part of the reason why the club no longer wants the fans to use it. And I don't think the statement was the most effective way of stopping no. fans from using it. In fact, I think it's more likely to have the opposite effect. You know, we literally have a song that says they tried to stop us and look what it did, uh, which was sung again at the weekend defiantly by Spurs fans and will continue to be right, until, like Nathan says, Jewish people have have a voice and are able to to um, tell us what, what we need to hear, essentially. It, but, but as Nathan points out, it's so mixed amongst Jewish fans as well. There, there are Jewish fans that we've platformed on this podcast who find comfort in the, yeah. in the use of the word and others who find it abhorrent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, there's no consensus. There's no, there's no consensus. And there's no way for us to weigh in on that, really, other than, again, to 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 lean towards caution. Um, I think there's a bit of like a, a chicken and the egg situation where it's like um, we receive, well, Spurs fans receive anti-semitic abuse because yes. we use the y word and 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 also the other way around and so the use of the y word is blamed for well not blamed but but recognized as sort of a starting point for us receiving anti-semitic abuse like specifically abroad again like you're talking about like the exportation of the y word and therefore that's gonna necessarily lead to abuse coming back the other way i don't know i don't know and again a return to the same point is that it's just not a discussion to have there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that supporters of other clubs who are using the word should not be using the word it's I mean, if, if well, yeah, the discussion the discussion isn't that. I think that is a consensus. The discussion is why is the focus on Spurs fans yeah. using the words when you know West Ham fans are hissing or, or use what, it you viciously. Know. Yeah, uh, and and should there be any concern about us using the words with a positive intention when meanwhile there are like really quite horrific things being sung and done by mm-hmm. by other fans? I think that is where people feel there's hypocrisy, but I don't think it's as simple as that either. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
Um, Ivan Victor says, you probably already answered this when Conte was hired, but what are your expectations for the rest of the season? It's obvious to me that just because we can beat City, it doesn't mean that we'll beat Burnley, as those two games are kind of chalk and, and cheese. So I expect more highs and lows, glorious sunsets and bumps in the road, and consistency will have to wait for next season. Buddy, what are your hopes for the rest of the season? I, I still hope for top four. I don't think it's done yet. I still think there's um, enough teams in there that will that will mess up and make mistakes as we're seeing with United and West Ham and stuff. But I, I'm not as confident as I was a few weeks ago. 5.38 are giving us a 19% chance of top four. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably give us... 20, that will 25 change. to 30 percent chance that, maybe that will change dramatically if we beat arsenal by the yeah. way yeah for sure all right yeah. <laughs> i'll let you know after that game then <laughs> it, it, it will probably swing the opposite way if we were to beat arsenal mm. I'd, I'd say that because they're rated at 60 percent i believe last time i checked the thing, it's so annoying it's always annoying with arsenal but like they were quite bad for a long time and they amassed points reg- despite it yeah. and now they're in a better place and it's it's mm. <laughs> uh, it's it's very frustrating that they survived being as bad as they were and 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 sort of got on all right with it despite that. I still think they they have some tricky fixtures. They really do. Aren't, I, yeah, they've got to go to West Ham. They've got to go to Newcastle. They've got to go to Southampton. They've still got to play Liverpool. So wait, so I don't think it's I don't think it's done and dusted. There's going to be a few more twists in this. But you're right. They scraping past well scraping past Wolves. That should have been a draw. And yeah. They still got to play Chelsea as well from that the game they missed this weekend. It's it's not done, but I'm not as confident as I was. I completely agree with Bardi's point about Arsenal's run of fixtures. They've got a really nasty nasty run. So they play Liverpool, then away at Villa, which is not an easy game now. Um, away at Palace, you know Vieira uh, is doing a, a really decent job with Palace. They're they're difficult to beat. Then they're home to Brighton. You know we we've seen Arsenal struggle against Brighton in recent years. They play away at Southampton. Southampton are hitting a decent spell of form. If they can maintain that, then there'll be a, a potential problem as well. Then they play Man United at home and West Ham away. That's a really, really tricky run. Uh, I would say ours is slightly easier than that. Slightly easier than that. Not, not you know, not a huge amount. We still have to play Liverpool too. And, uh, and yeah, we've got other tough games to come also. But if we beat Arsenal and beat United... Then I think top four. I think top four is ours to lose, basically. Uh, but they're tough games. They're tough games. I'm sort of, um, sort of less concerned about getting top four than uh, the normal. Obviously, I, I would like us to be in the Champions League next season. But I think that our player pool with Conte um, is quite significant. I think that um, our spending will be significant. Obviously, Champions League will make you know a difference to the budget, but I don't think it will. I don't think it's like it's not back in the days where it's like if we don't make Champions League, we don't have any cash to spend, right? I don't think it's as bad as that. Um, I, I I do think it could change the number of players we're able to sign, though. It, of course, it will help. It will help. What I'm saying is like previously with Spurs for a lot of the last decade or so a lot has been pinned on whether or not mm. we hit Champions League and I don't think that that is I don't think it's quite as significant um to us I don't think that like we live and die on on fourth place as much I don't think top four is our everything <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I I can see that from the Conte factor yeah but I don't think Kane stays if we don't qualify for the Champions League oh boy Let's not end the podcast there. Quick, say something. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're going to get top four. I feel, I feel, I honestly, I feel really good about it. Still, I, I, 
Uh, as you pointed out earlier, the underlying numbers are really, really good, trending in the right direction across Conte's tenureship, um, or certainly, certainly from looking at the start of the season under Nuno to where we are now is, you know, it's, it's, it's light and dark. It's, there's a huge difference. Even just watching the games, you can see we're a much more threatening team at the moment. We do have some defensive, some lapses at the back that we need to be a little bit concerned about, but there's a lot of good stuff happening. We've now got Kulusevski, who looks a, a genuinely excellent signing. Um, hopefully we'll have some midfielders back fit soon to give us a few more options. And of course, Romero and Dyer are, are, are back and playing really well. So I think there's lot, lots of reasons to be positive about the run in be great to beat Borough as well and still have the sort of FA Cup going on in the backgrounds. Wouldn't it be wonderful to win a trophy? Um, but I, I do feel good about top four still. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud E. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.